Tēnā koutou no mai hai to mai. Good morning. Welcome to Q&A. I'm Jack Tame. This morning, the new Foreign Minister on New Zealand's role in a fast-changing world. On behalf of New Zealand, recognise and congratulate uh, President-elect uh, Joe Biden and his Vice President Kamala Harris. Then, who should be responsible for managing New Zealand's house prices? A former Reserve Bank governor weighs in with his solutions. Developers are in before you can even get a loan from the bank. Astronomically high. Unaffordable. And with everyone officially sworn in, we have a bit of fun with some of the new faces in Parliament. So you're on in um, about an hour and a half? I uh, am, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to do my maiden speech and... Yeah, and you don't mind being the first or among the first? To be honest, you know, I actually thought that um, it might be a bit overwhelming. We will have that story shortly. But first, as New Zealand's new Foreign Minister, Nanaia Mahuta, is promising to bring an Indigenous perspective to global affairs. It is a tumultuous moment for the world order, with a new US presidential administration set to be inaugurated and tension in our relationship with China. In her first interview with us, in her capacity as Foreign Minister, Nanaia Mahuta, tēnā koe, welcome to Q&A. Tēnā koe, Jack. Why, why did you want this portfolio? Oh, look, the Prime Minister asked me to do the job and I'll do the job. And what I do know is that I can bring a different perspective uh, to the role of foreign affairs. What is that perspective? Yeah, understanding that New Zealand is a small country in the Pacific, founded on the Treaty of Waitangi. So we have values and principles that are drawn from our Pacific Polynesian heritage. And we also have connections to the Northern Hemisphere through colonisation and the Western uh, institutions that we have, like a open democracy, uh, the way in which we engage with the world. So I think I can bring a broader perspective to the role that we have as a small country in the Pacific uh, to ensure peace, stability, prosperity and inclusive economic growth and taking on board an Indigenous perspective. How will your approach differ to that of Winston Peters? I don't think it's about comparing myself with any other uh, foreign minister that's represented you New Zealand. You said you've got a new because, perspective. Because by and large, every foreign minister for New Zealand will try and position New Zealand in the best way possible. But these are complex times with significant challenges and COVID has been a disruptor all the way around the mm. world. So it requires, I think, some navigation skills of which I'm well equipped to be able to apply at this time. So, so what differences will we see in New Zealand's approach to foreign affairs compared with the last government? Well, I think the perspective, as I say, that I will bring will be one that will uh, be a little bit broader and able to connect our conversations and build bridges on a number of levels. And we'll have to deal with that on a case-by-case -case basis as we uh, mature our relationship mm. uh, beyond China and the US across our region and throughout the world. So broader than Winston Peters? Oh, broader in itself. I don't want to be comparing myself with any former New Zealand Foreign Affairs Minister except to say that as a yeah. woman, as an Indigenous woman, I will bring a different perspective okay. inevitably. OK, let's walk, work through some of our key relationships and let's begin with our biggest trading partner, China. You signed a joint statement with the Five Eyes Partners, critical uh, of China over its actions in Hong Kong. Why? We have a respectful relationship with China and, and a maturing one. A mature relationship means that on those issues where uh, our values uh, and the things that we believe in are not uh, being, I guess, practised in ways that we can be comfortable with, our independent foreign policy allows us to speak out on those issues. And let's remember that our position on Hong Kong hasn't been all of a sudden just because I'm the uh, Foreign Affairs Minister. It's been the culmination of voicing out uh, concerns 
concerns about what's happening in Hong Kong, uh, the one country, two yeah. system approach that uh, enables a level of autonomy, freedom of speech, freedom of press, uh, and a level of uh, local decision making and that seems to be uh, overshadowed uh, at the moment and that's why we've voiced our concerns. You said you have a mature relationship or an increasingly mature relationship with China. China's uh, responded to the Five Eyes statement by saying this, quote, if they dare to harm China's sovereignty, security and development interests, they should be aware of their eyes being poked and blinded. Is that a mature response? Oh, look, that's a very colourful statement from... Is it a mature a, a, response? It's, it's a colourful statement from yeah. an official, uh, but let's be, but, but is let's it a be very clear. Response? They're responsible for la their language. We're responsible for yeah. how we promote the values that we believe will create greater stability. But, but, but both parties are, re are responsible for the relationship. Is, is that a, a mature response? Oh, look, I, I, I think that that's very strong language and colourful language, but we're responsible... That's not my question, though. But, <laughs> But, but, but that is what it is. Actions follow follows words, obviously. Mm. We've been able to ensure that in our mature relationship that we can work through an upgrade on, the, uh, on our agreements with China uh, and that we can continue to have a conversation. And I would like to see uh, our ability to understand uh, the values that New Zealand promotes mm. and upholds in a very consistent and predictable way uh, and that we can still continue to converse with China. Have you had conversations with your Chinese? Chinese counterparts since that response? Not as yet. When do you expect to? I intend to and it, we'll, we'll, we'll be scheduling that. When do you expect? Yeah, I'll, I'll be, I intend to. We, yeah, when? Yeah, hopefully soon. How soon? <laughs> oh look, I'm going through all the various relationships that we have so I can just, uh, I can assure you very soon. But I mean this is this is our biggest trading partner it and, is our and big, clearly, uh, clearly this is tension. So, so I mean give us, give us a time is, frame here. It is our Are biggest trading partner but let's not overread a statement that was made by a senior official. Uh, the Prime Minister has expressed her concern on a number mm. of issues uh, to her counterpart and when I have the opportunity, uh, when officials have arranged will, our Will meeting, it be this year? I'll be, I'm hoping so, yes. Right. I'm hoping so. Is this a symbol of a, a deterioration in our relationship? No, not at all. As I say, a mature relationship enables you to have difficult discussions, as people would expect. But as a small country in the Pacific that upholds very strongly the values that define who we are, what mm. we stand for, an open democracy, uh, respect for human rights, we should be able to advocate that uh, without right. fear of rec recrimination, and we'll continue to do that. You just said that actions follow words, so what's your next step if China continues its behaviour? Oh, our, our next step actually is to continue the conversation that underpins our respectful relationship, was up, which is upgrading our trade agreement with China. Okay, so that, that's trade, but if, if China continues its actions and behaviour in Hong Kong? Well, our, our joint statement has asked for uh, consideration of uh, what's happening there in Hong Kong. Hong Kong's a business hub, and it does require a level of uh, independence. We've got a number mm. of New, Zealand's, New Zealanders living there. We've got a uh, number of businesses trading there. I think if there is any retraction from the level of autonomy that's there, that may well have reverberations beyond New Zealand. Are you worried that um, we might see a response from China similar to the way China has responded to Australia? We've seen significant trade tariffs whacked on Australia. I think we're a different country and this is where our independent foreign policy comes in and the way in which we navigate our relationship with a country like China, China becomes important. Are we in a better place than Australia is right now? I think right now we're able to continue to have our conversations because it's a maturing relationship. That wasn't my question. Is, is it, are we in a better place with China than have, Australia is right we now? We don't have the same sanctions that have been applied to 
to Australia because we have a mature relationship, a respectful one, and it does enable us to have those kind of difficult conversations mm. and we'll continue to uh, navigate our way through uh, that very important relationship. Uh, you said you want to promote an Indigenous perspective when it comes to global affairs. Do you consider China's Uyghur minority to be Indigenous people? What I consider is that the uh, human rights um, infringements that are happening there, my Indigenous perspective allows me to take forward uh, what the impact of colonisation has been on Indigenous people and again and to have a whole different conversation and one that is based on understanding. Uh, so that is a perspective uh, that I bring that is uh, able to be applied to the position we take as a country. Are Uyghur people yeah. Indigenous people? Uh, Uyghur people are people who uh, have rights and interests. But, uh, but are they Indigenous people? Well, I think that they uh, need to, their rights um, in terms of human rights need to be upheld. But are they Indigenous people? Well, I'm, I'm not sure actually, okay. uh, because that's something uh, I think, um, irrespective of whether they are, are Indigenous or not, their human rights need to be protected. Mm. Oh, I just know that obviously promoting Indigenous values is very important to you and, and there, are, there are many Uyghur Muslims who consider themselves to be Indigenous people. I know that uh, the Chinese government does not consider them to be Indigenous people. Are you comfortable with the way in which New Zealand has criticised China's treatment of Uyghur people or is it at the point where we need to go further? I think it's a, at a point where we need to understand the long-term impacts of people being disenfranchised from their country. And often that's an experience that has been uh, uh, one that has been uh, sorely felt by Indigenous people within their own mm. countries. Uh, and I bring understanding uh, to that uh, issue. I also bring understanding in terms of human rights uh, abuses that uh, shouldn't be tolerated. And I'm hopeful I'm hopeful uh, that the treatment of uh, the Uyghur people, uh, Muslim minority mm. groups uh, there uh, can be uh, taken account of and respected because you know what, this time requires it. Okay, they haven't respected it so far. Hundreds of thousands of people, Uyghur Muslims, have been kept in detention camps so far. Well, we have made public statements critical of China's treatment of Uyghur people, but what more can we do? We can join the UN-sanctioned uh, statements on this issue. Around about 38 countries... Let's 38 countries have mm. expressly concern about what's happening to the Uyghur people. We've joined that. Uh, we've made statements within the UN to join other nations to, to apply pressure. I'm going to use your it's own statement It's up to nation here. states to actually ensure that they take but on this board is, what the rest of I the mean, world you are, is you, are, you, you come here to promote New Zealand's values. You come here to promote Indigenous values. You said to me a couple of minutes ago, actions follow words. There have been a lot of words when it comes to China's treatment of the Uyghur Muslims. Not a lot of actions. So what are the actions that you'll bring well, to the situation? Well, the actions are, and we, we support multilateralism, which means mm. we respect the United Nations and the collaboration that many nation states have in relation to things like human mm. rights abuses. We've expressed our concern. We've joined 38 other countries is, in the concern words, around the Uyghur people. But that... that that body, that community mm. of concern cannot be simply ignored. Okay. Uh, let, let's have a quick look at um, a New Zealand Uyghur woman. I know you're familiar with this story and many of our viewers are as well. This is um, Rizwan Nur Muhammad. She is a Fulbright scholar. She is a Uyghur woman who lives in Tamaki Makoto, Auckland, and she's holding a photo of her brother Mel Lan, who is one of the Uyghur Muslims, one of hundreds of thousands being detained by the Chinese government. 
I know that the Ministry for Foreign Affairs has provided her some assistance. What more can you do in her situation? Well, uh, our ministry is responsible for New Zealand citizens, so our uh, consulate is able to uh, ensure that New Zealand citizens' interests are protected. In this instance, uh, we're working to try and get as much information as we can around the brother uh, to ensure uh, safety and protection. And right now, we're, we're working at that level. Let's turn to the United mm. States. Shortly after the US TV networks projected Joe Biden and Kamala Harris would be the next uh, presidential administration, you published this tweet. Let's have a quick look. It is a beaming face emoji. What message did you intend to convey with that? Oh, look, a beaming face emoji is yeah, pleasure. Um, I have to say that uh, I, at the time, I was trying to make sure that that emoji was connected, was not connected to any other former statement that I made. But in, uh, what followed that statement was my formal statement, which was recognising uh, President-elect Biden as well as uh, Vice President Kamala Harris uh, and, and the outcome of the presidential elections. You wanted them to win, didn't you? Oh, look. Um, it's really important to ensure that New Zealand's interests uh, with the United mm. States can be maintained irrespective of who the administration was. It is true uh, that uh, President-elect Biden and the early signals that he's given uh, uh, foreshadow uh, perhaps a really strong uh, opportunity for us to work uh, on some areas of common interest. Yeah. That, that, that tweet, though, was sent before he made his speech after being uh, forecast as being the, the president-elect of the United States. It's a, that's, a, that's a smiley face. I know this might seem like a minor quibble, but there will be some people who look at that and say New Zealand's foreign minister wanted Joe Biden to win. Is that the truth? Oh, look, I, I, I want to make sure that people don't read too much into emojis when they're debating foreign okay. policy. Well, well, Let's no, be no, really no, clear. No, 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 it's no. the statements that matter. And if people read into emojis a country's foreign so, policy, that's just ridiculous. You, no, 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 but you, you are our top diplomat. <laughs> you am, are the foreign minister. So, so people will read into every message you publish. I don't and, think and, they'll and read into emojis, Jack. Come on. What, so, so, what did you? What message did you intend to convey? Actually, with that? the message that I conveyed was the was the formal message that was expressed in words uh, on, on on my tweet, and then uh, you know, and then I made the uh, statement in person. And let's did, be did really you, just, clear: just, I wouldn't want anyone to read into any foreign minister's emoji tweet as a, def, uh, a defining of what the foreign policy position is. That did, would just did be you the want Joe Biden to, to win? Oh look! What I want to make sure is that did New you Zealand, want Joe Biden to win? What I want That's to make question. what I want Answer to make please. sure is that New Zealand is able to strengthen its relationship around the world. But yes, mm. with the United States because we enjoy a good relationship with the United States. Now that President-elect Biden has been confirmed with Kamala Harris as Vice President, there will be many things that we can discuss mm. and take forward in terms of our shared opportunities. All right, stick with us, Minister. We'll be back in a couple of minutes after the break. Why are so many New Zealand councils so dysfunctional at the moment? And can the government do more to keep our rates down? Plus, whose job is it to control house prices? A former Reserve Bank governor with his thoughts. Tēnā koutou, welcome back to Q&A and Foreign Minister Nanaia Mahuta. I want to turn our attention to New Zealand and US citizen Chris Liddell's 
nomination to be the next Secretary General of the OECD. You've had time to consider his nomination now. Will you support him? Look, there's a number of nominations uh, in there for uh, the OECD Director General and it's important to ensure that the process uh, is undertaken. Uh, there's also uh, a candidate uh, from Australia um, and Canada. So, you know, with those countries where we have natural alliances, it's important to consider the whole uh, field of candidates, go through the interview process and then uh, be able to uh, work through what might uh, then happen in terms of final outcomes. Did you see his interview with us? Yes, I did. What did you think? Oh, look, uh, I'm sure all the candidates uh, will state their merits, mm. uh, but can I say in terms of uh, New Zealand's position, we want to ensure uh, that our, um, our region is well represented. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a candidate from Australia, uh, but there are a number of candidates yeah. in the field, an, an unusually large but group. So, look, the process of interviews is taking place early in December, yeah. and then we'll get a bit more information. Okay, if, from, from the information you saw in that interview, that was a very detailed interview and, and you saw a lot of points that Chris Liddell made in that interview. Are his values aligned with New Zealand's priorities? Oh, look, what I can say is that it's important for us as, as, as New Zealand to ensure regional stability. There's also a candidate from Australia. Keep on and, bringing and up the candidate from Australia. Look, look, do, do, uh, do you because, because New Zealand's citizenship, citizenship in and of itself is not a prerequisite uh, for New Zealand's support. Uh, Chris Liddell has been put forward by mm. the US. We have a candidate within our own region. We need to, on balance, consider uh, the candidates that will contribute to the overall uh, role and, uh, and responsibility that's required uh, and, and we'll look at that um, and, and it's important to let the process uh, follow for this time. Would you have supported, I realise this was the, 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 during the last government's term, but would you have supported a joint nomination for Chris Liddell with the United States and New Zealand? Oh look, I'm, I, I can't look backwards, I can look... Yeah, you can. I mean, no, no, you know, no, you know, you know everything to. about him, would you... Would you? I'm, I, do you know what, I'm not going to because it's important that we look at what's in front of us mm. and, and what's going to be in the best interest of that role and position mm. and we've got to as a country think about uh, what might best promote our regional interests and then achieve greater collaboration for the role that that um, particular uh, position requires. It's my understanding that, that Chris Liddell does have at this stage support from several countries and that there is a strong possibility the Biden administration will continue to support his nomination. Does that change New Zealand's position? That may well be the case but the interview process hasn't happened yet. Okay. That's going to happen in December. Uh, the raid in Iran, who's responsible? Oh. Look, I'm not going to comment on that. I am concerned, though, that uh, in the event that tensions increase in the Middle East, uh, that would be very worrying uh, for um, many countries, and we would not want to see uh, that. Um, you know, and I'm currently taking advice from officials on that issue. OK. Um, I want to put some questions to you as local government minister now. Should Tim Shadbolt stand down as the Mayor of Invercargill? What we have in, in Invercargill is a situation where the Council itself has identified that it needs support and help. Uh, so there is a, uh, a process that they've undertaken uh, to uh, help them uh, strengthen their governance arrangements uh, and DIA have been a part of that process. 
by and large, and we've just had the local body elections in October, people have elected their local representatives, and so they, you know, it's it's really about accountability to mm. the local people. If there are governance issues, there are a number of pathways where councils can seek support, local government New Zealand, mm or DIA, or both. And we've we've stepped in to support the council to be able to make the right decisions there for them. Are you satisfied with him remaining as mayor of Invercargill for the time being? Look, I think the last local body election uh, gave the mayor a mandate. Uh, the way in which the mayor undertakes his role and function is one that is absolutely accountable to local mm. uh, ratepayers and citizens. Uh, in terms of the overall governance um, operation of the council, uh, we've provided advice. There is the ability to strengthen their governance decision making, and I'm not going to speculate on individuals who have been elected okay. to office to do a particular job. Will you appoint commissioners to Tauranga? Uh, that situation, after a very tumultuous period of time, has led to uh, Tauranga uh, appointing an observer who mm. prepared a report, put that to, to Tauranga. A number of recommendations were made, and the mayor has stood down. I'm now seeking advice, which is not, not far away, around the, the role uh, that I should take as minister and the levels of intervention that, and thresholds that would uh, need to, to be, be clear, in to order be, to act. Are you, are you open to appointing commissioners in Tauranga? It's not that easy. There are legislative requirements yeah. and thresholds that I need to meet, and if I don't, there are consequences. Uh, so that's why I'm taking advice around the thresholds mm. that would uh, enable me to, to act. It's a possibility. Okay. Why are we seeing so much dysfunction in our councils? Look, at the there moment? are looming challenges ahead of councils uh, in terms of costs associated with infrastructure. One of the big bits of work that I'm doing is in the area of Three Waters infrastructure mm. and significant underinvestment over a long period of time mm. in that area. Uh, so, you know, councils are reliant on uh, rates, but if they want to stabilise rates and then deal with these looming costs, actually it's going to be a really challenging but environment. Is, is there something central government can do here to help, especially in the post-COVID recovery. I mean, we are seeing councils around the country considering significant rates increases as they try to deal with a massive drop in revenue. Should central government not step in? Sure, it might cost several billion dollars, but given how much the COVID recovery is costing us at the moment, is there not a role for central government in bailing out some of our councils? Actually, there are things that central government has been doing as a result of COVID. Our investment mm. in signals and infrastructure has been significant. Our investment in uh, regional development has been significant, mm. but that will not address the significant and looming costs confronting councils. And councils uh, cannot rely solely on central government uh, to be an open checkbook because that is not the case. They do need to look at the way in which they are rating their communities to be able to afford some of the long-term challenges. But some of the issues that I'm dealing with in the waters space may well help them to look beyond uh, their uh, immediate constraints mm. to strategically what might position them better. And that's what we're doing. Nanaia mahuta. Tēnā koe. Thank you for your time. Kilda. Send us your thoughts. We're on Twitter at NZQ&A. You can email us Q&A at tvnz.co.nz. Our panel's going to be here shortly. And then later, our MPs have officially been sworn in. We are there with some of the new ones as they share a few laughs and a few nerves. Welcome back to Q&A.
In an exchange of letters this week, Finance Minister Grant Robertson and Reserve Bank Governor Adrian Orr considered strategies for improving housing affordability. House prices continue to skyrocket around Aotearoa as investors make the most of low interest rates. Here with his analysis is former Reserve Bank Governor and former National and ACT Party leader Dr Don Brash. Tēnā welcome to Q&A. Good morning. What did you make of Grant Robertson's letter? Well, first of all, he's entirely within his rights. The Reserve Bank Act specifically provides for the Minister of Finance to be able to direct the Governor if he wishes to. Uh, the letter from Grant Robertson this week was not a direction, it was simply an expression of concern. Uh, so he was within his rights to do that. Of course, I think Adrian Orr's response was also uh, appropriate because the Reserve Bank has a limited number of instruments it can use, the main one of course being the official cash rate which affects interest rates. Um, and he's got that at a very low level, quite deliberately, to uh, sp spike inflation higher than it is right now, it's virtually zero, uh, and to increase uh, the prospects for employment. So, how, how would you have responded if you were in Adrian Orr's position this week? Uh, <laughs> well, I would, what I would like to have said, perhaps I would not have said this, I'd like to have said, Minister, House prices are your responsibility because successive governments have created this situation in New Zealand. I mean, we have the most unaffordable houses in the English-speaking world at this point, and that's the fault of successive governments, not just this government, but Labour and National. Uh, over many years, we've had prices which have been rising much faster than incomes. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest single social issue facing New Zealand the cause of a lot of homelessness and overcrowding and all those kinds of problems is the price of housing. Okay, I want to get to, to the solutions as you see mm. them in a moment, but let's go back to the Reserve Bank's role in this. As you say, the Reserve Bank has limited tools in the mm. toolkit when it comes to anything really. Mm. What could the Reserve Bank do to stabilise house prices? Uh, well, I think what the, gov the Governor has said already, I want to reintroduce loan to valuation ratios. He said that'll take place from the 1st of March next year. But of course, I think three of the four major banks have already reintroduced mm -hmm. those, those ratios. And that's, he can justify that to some degree by saying, if prices go too high and then fall, the banks might be threatened by that. Mm -hmm. And he has a responsibility in the statute for financial sector stability. So he can justify some measure of that, but it's tinkering at the edges. What else could they do? Anything else? Nothing much else they can do, no. Except for increase the OCR. Well, that, well that's right. And which some would have people, significant other impact. Well, some yeah. people are saying uh, the measure of inflation which the Reserve Bank should be targeting is not simply the CPI, the Consumer Consume Price, price index, index, but a wider range of prices, including, in this case, property prices. What they're saying is interest rates should be much higher. Now. In a situation where the economy is, is not strong, mm. and where inflation is very low, lower than the target ideally should be, um, increasing interest rates is the last thing the, the Reserve Bank wants to do. Mm. The most immediate effect of higher interest rates would be a sharp rise in the exchange rate. Mm. And that would put huge pressure on the export sectors. Uh, already, even the hint of that you will have seen the New Zealand US dollar rise to 70 cents this week. And that's partly for a suspicion the market has that maybe the Reserve Bank will start taking this into account and will not reduce its interest rates as far as they might otherwise have done. Should we change the remit for the Reserve Bank? Uh, well, I don't personally think so. The one thing we know is that monetary policy does affect the inflation rate mm. and does affect to some degree, at least in the short term, the unemployment rate. 
normally when uh, inflation is too low and employment is too high, monetary policy operates in the same direction to mm -hmm. achieve both objectives. But controlling house prices? So, so at the moment, with our policy settings as they are, are you saying it is effectively a binary equation? We can't have low interest rates and a stable housing market? Uh, yes, we can, but we can't do it with present policies elsewhere. I mean, the basic problem is the land market has been strangled for years. Uh, I recall Arthur Grimes, I think one of the New Zealand's mm. best economists in my view, saying you could have a compact city or a cheap city, but you can't have a compact cheap city. And the reality is when you're paying $800,000 for 400 square metres of bare section in Flatbush, this is not Rimuera, uh, you cannot put an affordable house on it. You put a tent on it and it's beyond the reach of most people. So how do we free up land? Whose responsibility is it? Uh, well, it's uh, in the first place, it's local government's responsibility. Um, but the central government has some responsibility as well. And central governments have, from time to time, recognised that. Mm. I mean, the Labour government, uh, of, sorry, the coalition government, before the last uh, term got underway, in the speech from the throne, mm. they explicitly said, we will abolish the rural urban boundary around Auckland. That's what's keeping the price of land prices high in Auckland. No one believes they'll do that. Mm. If they did believe that, prices of land would be falling. They're not, they're going up. And it's the price of land which is going up, not the price of houses. Hence you see people pay two and a half million dollars for a mm. crappy rundown uh, dog box of a place. They're not buying the house, they're buying the land. What about changes to tax? Well, that could have some effect, but uh, Australia has a capital gains tax and Australia also has, at least in Sydney and Melbourne, mm. very expensive housing. Could the government extend the bright line? Uh, I don't have a strong view on that. But would it solve the problem? Not fundamentally. What would it cost them politically to do that? Uh, I suspect quite a bit. It would be a change of income tax. Uh, the game about with the capital gains tax or income tax or what it is. Uh, it would certainly cost them some votes. Personally, I think the challenge for any government is to fix the housing market and still get re-elected. I, mean, I, I well recall on a different program, Grant Robertson being asked shortly after he became Minister of Finance in the last government, mm. Minister, do you want house prices to fall? And Grant Robertson said, um, 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 I don't want them to rise too quickly. You cannot make house prices more affordable in New Zealand unless fundamentally they do fall. And now, in Auckland, 10 times the median household income. There should be three and a half times. That's it. That's it. Thank you very much for your time. Thank Dr. you. Dr Don Brash. After the break, is there a better way for us to run our borders? The government's made arrangements for seasonal workers to come here. But are there other improvements that would help our economy recover whilst also keeping us safe? Welcome back to Q&A. One of our leading epidemiologists says our MIQ quarantine process needs an overhaul. With positive cases still arriving, thousands of extra seasonal workers being invited in early next year and a potential vaccine on the horizon. What and how can we change things? As it so happens, I'm in the somewhat unique position of having just completed two weeks and managed isolation myself. 
Professor Michael Baker from Otago University is with us this morning. Tēnā koe, welcome to Q&A. Let's Brilliant. start by considering what is working well in managed isolation at the moment. Well, Morena, Jack, uh, firstly, uh, the MIQ system, along with our testing and contact tracing, are real triumphs for New Zealand. Um, they're core to, to our very effective elimination strategy. And we've got 3,000 people coming into New Zealand every week, going through the system, and most of the time it's working very well. But unfortunately, we are seeing um, a failure every two weeks, and some of these are turning into, about half of them actually develop into outbreaks. Uh, and also there's more and more pressure going on the system uh, because we're taking people from countries where the pandemic is out of control and becoming more intense. So this is obviously our main area of vulnerability. But, but in, oh, sorry, I, please. I'm in the interesting situation. I can ask you, um, I could be the interviewer and ask you about your experience in MIQ. I mean, my, my experience was, generally speaking, that it seemed extremely well organised, at least in my, in, in my facility. I'm aware that there are 32 around the country and that my experience might not have been typical of other people's experiences, but nothing in my two weeks um, led me to believe that there was any potential for an outbreak within our facility. Why are we seeing a, a failure in our border every two weeks or so? Well, the, the problem is we've got 32 hotels being used for something they were never designed for, of course, mm. which is um, being quarantined facilities. Uh, and some of them are in our, our big cities. So that is inevitably an area of vulnerability. Uh, and as I was saying, we're having more people rather than fewer coming from high incidence countries where they are infected. So we really, I think, need to move away from this one-size-fits-all approach to a risk-based system. And we've talked quite a bit about a traffic light approach where if you think about the, the red zone countries, which unfortunately is much of the world, we put much more effort into managing those high risk arrival arrivals. And at the other end, we've got the green zone, uh, which is fortunately an expanding group of countries, um, Pacific Islands, and hopefully all of Australia shortly. So really quarantine free travel from those countries mm. will become very possible. Okay, so, so just explain to me how that would work. Arriving from the United States, passengers would go into the full two weeks of managed isolation, but passengers arriving from Sydney, what would they experience? Well, they could um, initially perhaps have a shorter period in MIQ, maybe a week, and then uh, possibly a week of um, home quarantine. But actually, we should really be moving towards um, no time in MIQ very quickly, mm. uh, because really the chance of anyone from most of Australia being infected is um, very similar, or probably the same as New Zealand now. So that's at the low end. But I think at the high risk end, that's we, where we really need to put a lot more effort in. And one of the options would be requiring people to have a period of uh, managed quarantine before they get on the flight and have at least one negative test before they get on the flight. And if they have a positive test result, they have to delay their travel by at least two weeks. Would adding complexity to the system as it stands increase the chances of failures? Well, no, I think it would. this would not add complexity to the system inside New Zealand. It would be putting more effort into what happens before the person gets on the flight. And basically, we should work towards the ideal of having no one arriving in New Zealand who tests positive. And that will be pretty aspirational, but if we could halve the number or even reduce it further, 
because one of the perverse effects of uh, actually having taking people out of the MIQ facility who don't need to be there, like, like particularly people from Australia, is it might actually increase the risk for New Zealand because then we'd have a lot more infected people going through that system. So I think we have to put a lot more effort into that group of travellers. And we actually have now a booking system which mm. can be used for this purpose. And we have to think about vaccines as well. At a certain point, the system will need to, to be able to manage that, whether someone's been vaccinated or not. Have you spoken to government officials about this? Oh yes, we've talked a lot about mm. this um, directly and also through um, publishing um, uh, science blogs on this subject and, and discussions with the media. So I think that this idea of moving to a risk-based system is very well mm. established. And what's been the reaction? Well, I think it's one of uh, a number of areas that are under review. And uh, now, fortunately, since... Um, the pandemic is, is being well managed within New Zealand, the risk. Uh, we have got a bit of breathing space, I think, to fine-tune the system. But we don't have much space because this risk is going to increase before it gets less. Uh, just before we let you go, uh, obviously we've seen a number of positive cases from within the Pakistan cricket team. There have been calls from some areas for the team to be sent home uh, after reports that they were apparently breaking some of the managed isolation rules. Do you have thoughts on that? Yes, well, that shouldn't happen. I mean, uh, the principle of quarantine is that you're basically quarantined on your own um, or possibly in a small family group if necessary. But they clearly flaunted those rules. And I don't know how that actually could happen because there should be intense supervision of people in those facilities. Should they be sent home? I think that's um, a complex um, decision. But um, in the end, the consequence is it's obviously not a great look if you're an ambassador for your country and also it's meant they've had to have more testing and a greater period in quarantine so it's really had serious effects negative effects for their whole team all right tena kwe thank you very much for your time as always that's professor michael baker thank from you otago university the 53rd Parliament is now officially up and running. With all the pomp and ceremony, some of the formalities and rituals have been embraced by our MPs. Some have been challenged. Reporter Fina Owen checked in with some of the newbies and the parliamentarians charged with wrangling them. We're going for the bullseye, right. It's not easy, but... Ah. Oh well, Wired Upper MP Karen McAnulty has already hit the bullseye anyway. He asked for the Chief Government Whip job and got it. To be trusted with this role with the largest ever Labour caucus, 65 MPs in a house of 120, it's, it is a real privilege, so I'm pretty honoured to have it, to be honest. Among those 65, the Chief Whip cares for 23 brand new Labour MPs. Yes, he's in charge of caucus discipline, but it's mainly about support. We want to make sure that the office is an open and inviting environment. The door is always open. And I've got a couple of comfy couches here if people want to come in and have a cup of tea and a yarn and a dartboard if they just want to chill out for a bit. Thursday and Parliament is upbeat and full of visitors to witness the state opening. In a quiet corner of Bowen House, new Labour MP Ibrahim Omar is going over his maiden speech. You're on in um, about an hour and a half? I uh, am, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. going to do my maiden speech and... Yeah, you don't mind being the first or among the first? Oh, I think it's a, I think it's a privilege. Uh, it's a rare privilege for someone to, you know, I, I have been chosen to, to do it, so it's, 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 a, it's a real privilege. And
And he's invited 180 people along to watch his maiden speech, among them Parliament's cleaners and leaders from his community. Unfortunately for me, it's not my office, especially with all this beautiful architecture and woodwork. Yeah, but, but you're in the, the actors in the library building. We are. Yeah. We're going yeah. to be upstairs on the next floor where new offices are being built inside the structure of the old style of the building. Well, my name's Nicole McKee and I'm the number three candidate. Q&A last caught up with Nicole on election night. Since then, the party's firearms reform spokesperson has completed six weeks of intense induction how to navigate around the precinct with all the rules and procedures and to be honest you know I actually thought that um, it might be a bit overwhelming but I found that I really love it. The people of Assets parties have put their trust in you and they expect the best. The Speaker of the House has overall responsibility for the new MPs and making the new configuration of Parliament work. It's going to be interesting with um, an expanded Green Party and a very expanded ACT Party. Uh, the Maori Party uh, uh, has two new members uh, and, and that's going to be um, you know, a developing, interesting situation. Can you tell us about what you're wearing? Over in the Māori Party offices, we're talking fashion with Debbie Ngārewa Packer. So I'm very, very much um, about you know, activism by fashion. <laughs> So we knew, um, you know, look, we're a small party and uh, we have to make a big impact from day one. And I think part of what we've always sort of said is that we want to be unapologetically Māori. Next door, co-leader Rawari Waititi is stoked that he's made the front page of the Dominion Post with his oath of allegiance. There's us. Oh, there's you. No, that's us. <laughs> that's the iwi Māori. I found a a space in the standing orders where I wasn't making an addition and I wasn't changing it, but I was able to challenge it. But his interpretation of house rules was challenged the next day when he raised a point of order seeking to speak in a debate. When the speaker cut him off, the two Māori Party co-leaders left the chamber. Well, I think in this particular case, uh, the rules were very well understood uh, and it was something that was set up uh, by a staff member um, and because the rules had been explained uh, and explained again uh, to the Maori Party and to their staff and to their leaders. Um, I think it was more a piece of drama. But most importantly, I stand here today in front of you bursting with pride as a Kiwi who loves Aotearoa New Zealand. Back in the House, both Ibrahim Omar and Arena Williams' maiden speeches have made quite an impact. Cool, OK, no worries. Thanks for the help. Cheers. National's new MP for North Shore, Simon Watts, will have the summer break to ponder his maiden speech. I'm going to be on the 16th of February, if everyone wants to put that in their diary. He's one of five new MPs in the national camp. All of us come from sort of non-political backgrounds. We've all got real-world experience and different spheres, um, and that's really exciting. And here's an interesting fact about the man who re-secured Maggie Barry's former seat for National. He's going to continue his voluntary work as a St John Ambulance paramedic in his electorate.
Here come the Greens. They were wrapped to secure three new MPs. Elizabeth Kerikeri is one of them, about to move offices again. So this building's been re-strengthened, isn't it? So yes, we all yeah. have to move out. Witnessing the ceremonies around Parliament's opening, Elizabeth explains the blend of old Westminster and tikanga Māori has been moving to watch. And this is the normal way to go. Our, you know, our Prime Minister stands up, does a mihi, our Speaker in the House. How many other countries with a colonial background can claim that? The Gisborne-based MP is now eager to get on with the mahi. For example, putting gender identity and expression and sex characteristics in the Human Rights Bill, my first member's bill, uh, but also supporting other uh, MPs from other parties and things like banning conversion therapy. So government has said they want to do that, let's do it now. And with the formalities over, the new MPs and the old ones headed for home. They'll be back from Monday when the real work of Parliament begins. That is reporter Fina Owen. Stick around, our panel will be here after the break. Kia it is time to catch up with our panel. Merepeka Raukawa Tate, who's the chair of the Whanau Order Commissioning Agency, a Rotorua Lakes councillor and Māori Party member, and Charles Finney, former diplomat and trade negotiator, now government relations consultant at Saunders Unsworth. Tēnā kōrua, welcome to Q&A. Charles, I'll start with you. What did you uh, learn from our interview with the new Foreign Minister, Nanaia Mahuta? Didn't learn much, but I think she did very well. Uh, and um, pretty much what she was saying was what I believe on the issues you were discussing. So, so I thought she did very well. It's, uh, it's a difficult balance, isn't it? Our relationship with China and, and one of her first moves as the new foreign minister was to sign that Five Eyes statement condemning China's behaviour in Hong Kong. Has she handled that right? I think she had to. Um, and as she said, there will be issues that we will disagree with China on. And Hong Kong, if, if China continues down this course will be one of those. There might be things on Taiwan, World Health Organization where we have disagreements. But there will be lots of issues where we actually are working closely with China. And I think she was saying that this is the type of mature relationship she's wanting to, to foster. If you look at uh, China right now, you'd have to say China's a much closer ally with New Zealand on climate change than is Australia or the United States. On World Trade Organization, on international rules, China's on our side mm -hmm. far more than the United United States. So there'll be strong issues on which we can work with China and I think the Chinese appreciate that. Mita Pekka, what sort of foreign minister do you think Nanaia Mahuta will be? Well I think she was a very inspired choice by the Prime Minister. Um, we heard her uh, cl uh, clearly articulate today already um, some significant uh, views around um, her portfolio but I got the sense that she's not she's not a pushover. She won't be a pushover. She will answer honestly. Um, she will give a bring a different perspective and I think it was a very in inspired choice. Mm. It, you know, the, the China situation is curious, isn't it? Because clearly there are all manner of human rights issues that New Zealand has, has, has raised issues with. Um, and to compare us and Australia at the moment, there are some significant differences. Do you think we are handling the relationship better than Australia right now, Charles? I think that is the Beijing perspective, and I think that we are more nuanced. Mm. I suspect a lot of the what we're seeing with Australia right now in China is actually a bit of frustration from, from uh, China about the Australia-US relationship, mm. and they certainly see the New Zealand-US relationship as far more independent than that Australia has. 
So they can't really whack the United States around the uh, the head, but they can Australia, and, and I think they might be enjoying it a bit. We saw a tweet from the new foreign minister, though, clearly supportive of the new administration, the incoming presidential administration in the United States. If that means a slightly closer relationship with the United States, how will that impact our relationship with China? Well, I think that no one should assume that the tensions that exist right now between China and the US are going to go away on the 20th of January when, when, when Trump departs the White House. Hopefully he does. Uh, the uh, Biden administration will be very focused on, on China. Uh, and um, we'll handle things, though, in a more diplomatic way. We won't be reading about policy changes by Twitter. Uh, there will be a more normal type of engagement, but the problems mm -hmm. will still be uh, there, and I think uh, every New Zealander should be well aware of that. It's mm. just not going to be a changed situation, and there is risk around our trade with China. Mayor Pekka, the Minister made it clear that bringing an Indigenous perspective mm. to global affairs is one of her chief mm. priorities. What does that mean? Well, um, and Manaya in particular, um, is very into relationships. Mm. I mean, it's all about relationships, really. If you can't reach out to people, if you can't speak to them in a way that um, they'll understand, if you don't want to look into their background, um, their historical background of countries, and she's into all of that. She's, her track record has been in developing relationships, so that's certainly something that she will bring to the job. And as I say, an appreciation of what has happened in countries um, that that she will, she will have an understanding of that. The Minister is also, of course, the Minister for Local Government. You are a Rotorua Lakes councillor. Why are we seeing so much dysfunction in councils at the moment? Well, from my observation, it is invariably older white men, act, Pākehā men, acting badly. They have a sense of entitlement. They want to be seen and heard. Um, they are not used to playing, uh, or not playing, but working collaboratively together. And it's destructive behaviour. It's a sort, it's a, it's a type of leadership that should have been done away with a long time ago. Um, but they get elected, and they should focus on the job at hand. It is not good. The community, your, the local citizens don't want to see this sort of behaviour, being on the front page for all the wrong reasons. And so I think it, this is indicative of what's happening around um, many councils today. Um, council is big business. We should be acting appropriately and modelling good behaviour. And um, But it seems to be that it's increasing all around the country. Bad behaviour. Charles, what do you put it down to? Well... Uh, I'm actually very glad that the Minister Mahuta is Minister for Local Government. This is her third term as uh, Minister for Local Government. People forget that. She did quite a lot of good work last three years. Uh, there are enormous challenges, you know, with not just Tauranga or the tragic situation we've got in Invercargo, but Wellington's Wellington pretty good. Wellington, yeah, yeah, sticks uh, out. Mayor yeah. Foster's got some, some things to answer for. Uh, so um, uh, I think she will be having to be focusing very hard on this, uh, but she, she actually has handled the portfolio well and has a great uh, ability to, to show leadership in that sector. The Three Waters work, which was mm. probably the number one outcome the last three years, was, was very much her, and she'd handled it very well. We are seeing you know, massive, or at least conversations, around significant rates increases for many councils around New Zealand as revenue drops as a response to COVID-19. Is there a role for central government providing more assistance or indeed bailouts to local governments? I think there is. I think um, why, why uh, local government can't retain the GST um, and put that into infrastructure, local infrastructure, uh, that would be very, you know, that would uh, be very helpful. 
uh, GS rates um, and that sort of thing. But I mean, we are living these days in communities where we want everything. We want good infrastructure. We want uh, we want our parks and reserves. We want all of that mm. sort of thing. And you have to pay for some of that, obviously. And so it's not easy these days trying to make sure that um, your communities are uh, desirable places to live, work, and stay. It's not easy, and we have to put our thinking to that. Mm. Pika, let's talk about Oranga Tamariki. Granya uh, Moss said uh, there is structural racism within Oranga Tamariki, mm. but this week, despite media reports suggesting she might resign, she didn't resign. Where to from here? Do you know we're spending such a lot of time and energy on looking at that organisation instead of focusing on the children and the families, the vulnerable families, um, and we just continue to talk about it. And it's getting worse and it's getting worse. I think we do, do have to look at who is leading some organisations that could be doing better. Um, and we, it, it's a whole of government approach too. It isn't just about uplifting children and making sure that um, it, it, uh, we've got good housing, we have mm. to have good housing, we have to make sure that people are, are healthy and all of these things are impacting right now. We had significant uh, problems prior to COVID and certainly they've just been exacerbated. So. I sat there and I listened and I thought, mm, this is an organisation that really is not fit for purpose. The leadership, I don't believe, is uh, adequate and um, we have to make some hard calls. Do you want to see Grania Moscow? I think that was a wrong appointment four years ago. It gives me, I mean, no joy to say that, but I think that was the case. When you don't have a tra uh, bring a track record of uh, delivering um, to Māori, if you don't have any contacts, um, any, aw any awareness of tikanga and reo, and you can't pick up the phone and ring people when you're in a difficult situation, it makes it hard. With all the goodwill in the world, um, you need to be well connected and able to do that job effectively, and that's not what I have seen. Does Fana Order want to be commissioned to provide services for children? We may be able to do some parts, but not all of it. Um, and it really comes back to what is it that iwi want now? Mm. Iwi want to have some say. They want to, obviously, they, they're concerned for the well-being of their children, uh, but they want to be able to say what that, where they could be, provide support and services. We may be able to play a role in the short term, but it really is, comes back to what iwi want. Um, I want to turn to developments in the United States over the last couple of days. Yep. Uh, it looks like <laughs> Donald Trump might be open to not necessarily conceding, but if the Electoral College affirms uh, the November vote, he will leave the White House in January. At least that's what he said, although he's, he's sort of backtracked it now as yeah, well. Yeah. You've met Joe Biden. Yes. What, what sort of president will Joe Biden make? Well, certainly I think he'll be um, a, the type of president we've been used to over over many years. You know, Trump was very much... Uh, uh, not the norm. Um, he is a very um, uh, well-read and well-travelled president, very internationalist in his focus, which will be good in terms of his respect for international organisations. Uh, he likes New Zealand. Uh, he comes from a generation where his uh, sort of parents, friends had served in the Second World War, had spent time in New Zealand, they fought with New Zealanders, that's well remembered. Uh, so I think it will be a good presidency for New Zealand, though I don't think we should be expecting a uh, immediate rush to rejoin the CPTPP uh, agreement or looking at a bilateral agreement, but I think there will be very positive engagement and over time those things might become possible. And Metapeka, the final question for you this morning. Uh, we saw some, some interesting uh, engagements from the Māori Party's two new MPs in Parliament uh, this week, both Debbie Ngāriwa Packer and Rāwari Waititi leaving Parliament in protest. 
Who's pulling the strings? We, we heard from Trevor Mallard suggesting that party officials might have been in their word. Well, they could have been, but I think uh, Trevor Mallard could have allowed the point of order. Normally, you would say, um, you know, explain what is it uh, that you, what, what's your point of order, and he didn't allow it. He just said, no, that's it. And, and so, um, yes, but they were, I suppose, they are saying, well, this is what we're going to be challenging all the time. If we feel we're being treated unfairly, this is what we're going to challenge. Whether it's the officials in the background giving them some direction to say, well, be mm. stroppy right from the start, I don't know, but it could well be. But I think that um, this is certainly, we're going to see quite a lot of that. Is it John Tamahiri? Well. <laughs> Who knows? But John, John wants them. You know. <laughs> well, John, John will certainly want to see that the um, the Māori Party succeeds in that in their position, mm. and so. But he will give them, be giving them some good advice, absolutely. All right, Tina Kōrua, thank you so much for your time, Charles Finney, and Mirepeka Rokawa Tate. Kumatu. That is Q and A for this week. Thanks for watching. Now, Mihikia Kotuia Koto Karere. Thank you for your contributions. Thanks to the Q and A team. Marai is up next, and so you know, next Sunday is our last show of 2020. Hey, Tiara Wiki. We will see you then. Q and A is made with the support of New Zealand on here.